everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 55 of the show, where we are diving into a new month in our Merry Marvel Mad Men mission to... I couldn't think of another word beginning with them. <laughs> uh, to Lord. miraculously manage the Marvel multiverse? Ma- I don't know. Oh, wow. That might, that might almost work. Almost work, except for manage seemed kind of lame, but yeah. whatever. Uh, manipulate. Michigan. Manipulate. Um, I'm trying to think of an M word for cover. I think I Merlin know. is the one manipulating. Yeah. He we is are- a multiverse guy. <laughs> it is May 1964, and we have three comics on the docket for tonight. Um, two of them are going monthly with this month, and those are Sergeant Fury and the Avengers. So that's exciting. So, we have more Sergeant Fury, so, more Avengers now. So I want to admit that to people who don't know that, like we we cover these things by release date, kind of. Mm-hmm. But I mostly just go with whatever John tells me to cover. Um. And I'm looking at it right now, and there's like, we're going to do Sergeant Fury, Avengers, and X-Men tonight, right? Not to spoil it. And I'm like, okay, that kind of makes sense because they all came out May 5th. And, you know, if we did strict release date, Sergeant Fury would be like after Avengers. But he can't be because he's Sergeant Fury, so we swap it around because it's World War II, right? But then how come we're covering like X-Men before Tales to Astonish and Thor – which also comes out May 5th. Is there a continuity reason for that? or So within a week, um, I use the Marvel Reading Order website okay. to kind of sort things. So, so that's what they decided. Yeah. And All there right. are a few discrepancies between their order and like the official Marvel Index order. But, you know, for our purposes, just kind of for slapping the show together, I go by their order because it's, it's you know, it's a sound order. It works. And the mm-hmm. discrepancies between them and the official order are really kind of minor most of the, most of the time. So, yeah. <laughs> well, well, this week in particular, Sergeant Fury really sticks out. So we can talk about that first. And that's my book tonight. I get them again. Well, it's good that Sergeant Fury and the Avengers come together in the list because they're yeah. a crossover. Exactly. So that's why it's important to kind of cover Sergeant Fury tonight first, even though alphabetically we would probably read the Avengers first. But it's Sergeant Fury number eight, Death Ray of Dr. Zemo. So see, you already can all tell where this is going. Um, Let's see if it had any special credits. It does. It says, not a bad story by ex-Sergeant Stan Lee, passable art by ex-Corporal Dick Ayers, and inked by... Geo Bell and lettered by S. Rosen. So, gone is Kirby, I guess. Yep, this is the first we, Dick Ayers issue. Well, bummer. Okay, so it's called The Death Ray of Dr. Zemo, which I already said. And it kicks off, I think they're in England, and everybody's tripping out that the uh, the Howlers, um, who look very American, because they always have like five o'clock shadows and ripped army greens and stuff, compared to the prim and proper looking English guys. Anyway, they're like tripping out that they uh, arrested the, uh, some Nazi company that's supposedly unarrestable. Uh, Meanwhile, this guy shows up that talk about prim and proper, even more prim and proper than the guys who already look prim and proper. He's got like this, what do you call it? A beret on his head. And he's got glasses and kind of one of those um, handkerchief necktie thingies. You can tell how proper I am, huh? Because I don't know the <laughs> names of these things. Um, and an umbrella. And everybody starts making fun of him, you know? Um, 
not everybody the howlers, but all these like side supporting characters that we don't know the names of are just making fun of him and calling him like too fancy and haha, he's gonna get his butt spanked in the war and stuff like that. And he introduces himself as Percival Pinkerton and then proceeds to pull a Kingsman on him and like uh beats them all up with his umbrella, essentially, to show that he's not as, you know, lightweight and fancy as he might look. He then uh after that of course, impresses the heck out of the Howlers because violence is their first language. Um, he tells them that he's the new recruit. So he's the guy that's replacing the uh, 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 irreplaceable Junior Juniper, who I completely forgot about. So <laughs> we have a new guy. We do have a new guy. And that's cool. Then they get an assignment, an impossible assignment. There's some dude named Dr. Zemo who's creating a horrible death ray, which is not good for the war. Uh, so go and get him. Essentially. So in typical fashion, they get on a boat and they go to Germany and they bypass a bunch of like submarines and they do some like cool uh, trickery to get on shore. Um, and then once they're on shore, Gabe, I think his name is, or like they're attacked by a uh, big, uh, what do you call it, tank. And Gabe single-handedly jumps up onto the tank and throws a grenade into the hole, and it blows up. But unfortunately, he gets hurt because he's no Captain America. So hurts his leg, and they have to take him to the nearest hospital where they have to force a German who's very loyal to the Nazi party. They have to force him to, like, help Gabe get better. And they do this by, like, lighting dynamite and saying, if you don't help him, I'm going to make sure we all die. And that freaks him out. So he helps. Then they uh, dress up in the doctor's outfits and they use the doctor to get past the checkpoint. Um, and they make their way to the castle where Dr. Zemo is working or living or maybe even owning this castle. I'm not sure. But there's lots of Nazis in there. And in Howler fashion, they work their way in, some through sneakery and some right through the front door like Dum Dum. Um, and they kind of blow away all his guards and much to Zemo's like surprise that, you know, they keep getting closer and closer. But much like um, Magneto likes to, you know, make his castles or his, in this case, meteors or whatever, like full of booby traps and stuff. Zemo's done the same thing. So they start getting electrocuted and all this stuff. Um, but they work their way around that. I think they have um, Gabe like blow his bugle into the speaker and it makes Zemo deaf. And then one of them knows how to like bypass the electrical problems and stuff so they keep getting closer and closer and finally they get to zemo and he has his uh death ray which is like a, ray, a machine gun that kind of can shoot and melt things so everybody's kind of freaking out and running but one of these guys whose name escapes me uh the cowboy guy has a lasso and he lassos the death ray out of zemo's hand zemo turns to the last guard he has and says you know save me and i'll i'll make it worth your while so that guard like stands there and tries to take on the Howlers all by himself while Zemo jumps into an airplane and abandons him completely. Um, they arrest the guy. The, the Howlers are going to take the death ray, but uh, Nick says, no, I think it's not a great idea. It looks like it's booby-trapped and like knocks it out of their hand. They run out of the castle, and sure enough, Zemo can detonate it with a remote control, so he does that, and his entire castle explodes. Um, cuts back to them making it back to England safely, and they all say, hey, Percy, how was your first assignment? And the Howlers wonder if he's going to brag or whatever. But he said uh, – but Percy just says, hey, ask the Howlers. They did all the work. So that kind of impresses everybody that he's sort of a low-key but pretty kick-ass guy. And the end. Right? Right. So what would you think of um, 
Well, there are two things I want to get your thoughts on. Let's do okay. the art first. What do you think Dick Ayer's in this? I'm sad Kirby's gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's passable, but like I think part of the charm of this title is not only the humor, but the way Kirby drew the humor. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of missing now. Um, I think Ayers is going to get a chance to grow a lot as an artist with this book. Okay. Um, there's It's notably different between this. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. As you can say, it's notably different between this issue and like, say, 23, which I think is the last one that I read. He, he's, okay. he's definitely refined his skill. But this is the Ayers book until it's no longer a book. Okay. So he is he is the um, the Sergeant Fury artist um, until the book goes into reprints after issue 120. There are a few a few fill-in artists, but he's the main artist until then. Um, I mean, so- I imagine between Avengers, Thor, Fantastic Four, Kirby was probably looking for a, a break. Right. And the X-Men. And X-Men. Oh, and the X-Men. Yeah, geez. So um, I really like Dick Ayers. I have not enjoyed his superhero stuff nearly mm-hmm. as much. But, you know, as we've been going through the show and I've, you know, there's a bit of a, of a two year gap between where we're covering and where I'm currently reading in my own read through, it's always been kind of interesting to note the difference in his style between there. And I think the inker has something to do with it. He's, he's inked very boldly in these early issues. And I think that there's a, a refined inking touch to his book, um, you know, two years from now. I don't know who the different inker is. I haven't looked it up, but, and I'm not very good about talking about art, but. There's my thoughts. So Ayers is the guy who does Human Torch, right? He has been, yeah, for a while, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think he maybe has a better style for real world stuff like this. Right? I thought so, too. Yeah, because his, his superheroes generally aren't super enough, in my opinion, kind of. Yeah. Like, they don't they don't stand right or whatever. So maybe this is a better book for him, so we'll see as it goes. I, like I said, it wasn't horrible. It's just like we've had Kirby, and it's kind of like, you know, the first 10 issues of Captain America comics are so much better than all of a sudden number 11 comes along. And Joe Simon and Jack Kirby are gone, and it's kind of weird. So I felt that way about this a little bit. But what you think we'll about get used uh, to it? What do you think about Pinky? Percy? Uh-huh. Uh huh. I thought he was great. Um, first of all, like he actually has a different personality, and he was introduced, and so he's memorable as opposed to some of the other characters. I still don't know the names of. Right. <laughs> I'm getting there. Like Dino, I know, and Gabe, I know, and of course, Dum Dum and Nick. But like some of the guys are still like, eh, I don't know which one of that is, you know, well, or why why he's special. But Percy came out of the gate special. Like Dum Dum Dugan, he has a immediately visual standout yeah. about him. Mm-hmm. So um, you, think he, um, you think he might be gay? Well, let me tell you, spoiler, John. <laughs> I can't tell you if I would have thought he's gay because you asked the question on Twitter before I had a chance to read it. So we'll never know what I would have thought. Right. But um, I didn't think so. I don't know. Just because he's fancy doesn't mean he's gay. Right. So I didn't really pick that up, no. Um, so there's He's English, so he's proper. Right, Posh. right. I don't know. There's definitely a, 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 f- a following out there that likes to think of Percy as gay. And oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, I... Definitely have always read him that way. I don't know okay. why, but whenever he came, whenever he comes in, and you know he's a bit, you know, just kind of, I don't know. Now, granted, I'm using some ham-fisted 1960s comic stereotypes when I'm talking about this here, but like he comes in, he's a bit proper and awkwardly so, and um, the men around him are making fun of him for being effeminate. 
And um, when he beats them up, he says that he prefers the company of gentlemen, which could be read in multiple ways. But, you yeah. know, this is one way it could be read. And and the guy's like, well, we weren't expecting someone like you, but, you know, we'll take what we got and join, you know, welcome to the team. Um, so it's just a lot of little things, I think, subtextually are gay coded. Um, he's never explicitly described as gay. And he's. Well, of course. Why? Because he would he wouldn't be. He wouldn't be. This is he exists in comics from 1964 to 1973. That's when yeah. Sergeant Fury goes into reprints. So that's you can't talk about gay people during that time. Well, I just wonder if there is a sect that thinks he's gay because they're throwing a stereotype at him. Could be. That, you know, if you're fancy and you have manners, then you must be gay because because slobby men are never gay. I guess. But I'm the sort that just, like if if if. Two girls look at each other on Supergirl. I'm like, oh, 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 they're gay. They're gay. And oh. um, that's just how Lily and I watch shows. Mm-hmm. So when I see a hint of gay coding, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here you go. Now, see, with Bobby, Iceman, I've been I've been feeling the gay like since X-Men number one, which is probably unfair because it's all in hindsight, right? But, right. But in that case, I know. So now and- I'm looking for it. Yeah, it's hard um, not to they, read it with that little with that little <laughs> right. subtext there. I mean, even though the writers weren't intending it, I'm looking for it and I'm finding it because my brain is wired to think of it now. But no, I don't know. I guess we'll see how he acts as we go along. Right now, to me, he just seems like a proper English gentleman who, you know, has a style all to his own, I guess. I've seen three different descriptions from Stanley. Um, okay. In one, in one interview... In the context of a discussion about how Two Gun Kid was gay in modern comics, he talked about how they had Pinky Pinkerton back in the '60s was gay. They just never like oh said it out loud. Oh well, there you go then. So that's one. Well, in From another the interview, mouth. in another interview, uh-huh. in a different context, same guy said a lot of people think he's gay. That was never intentional. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then in the introduction to the Marvel Masterworks for Sergeant Fury, uh, Stanley writes and talking about the diversity of the crowd that we had a character who might be gay. Well, here's the thing: how gay works is he. They could also say the exact same thing about any of these other characters. You know, Stanley could have said the entire time he intended Nick Fury to be gay. This is totally right? true, right? Because Nick Fury can be gay. Why not? Or Dum Dum Dugan. Maybe he's lying about having a wife this entire time just to cover his tracks. We don't know. Um, I will say I liked his intro a lot, and it's probably my favorite part of this issue. And it kind of makes me sad that then he seems to get kind of lost in a typical Howler story that doesn't really make him shine at all. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're introducing a new character, let him be the guy that stops the death ray somehow or something, right? To prove himself. He kind of just disappears. And then he in the end, he's like, the crowd, yep. and then in the end, it's like, well, how'd you like us? And yay, I'm glad to be a new member. But yeah, it would have been cooler if he had a bigger role in this because this is his debut issue. Right. They could have um, showed him a little bit more. Um, yeah. But yeah, just, just, just to put a pin in the, in the, in the uh, Pinkerton thing, I don't think that we need hard proof, cotton bed with a dude proof that a character is gay in order for us to read him as gay. Um, sure. And, and this is uh, not not necessarily to you so much as maybe a detractor in the audience or whatever, but I think it is important to realize that people might have wanted to write characters in comics that they couldn't write, and so they had to use subtext. 
And you get that a lot in the X-Men in the 80s. And that could have been what's going on here. And I'm going to choose to read him as gay because I like that read. But, you know, to each his own. Well, I mean, if Stan said it, then there you go. Right? I like Stan. Um, it's Dr. His guy. Zemo, though. Kind of, like, not so fun in this. He gets Kind of better. a non-starter. He's, like, sort of boring looking and doesn't really do anything. He has a death and It's ready. funny. It's funny because, like, they talk about Avengers in this issue, right? Don't they yes. say, also, be sure to read Avengers or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right on the front page. Be sure to read Avengers where you'll see Dr. Zemo again. And in there, he's like, Adhesive X, I've got a costume, and I'm flashy and a supervillain and cool. So apparently they're developing him at the same time as this book. But in here, he's just like a generic-looking dude with a mustache, and he has a death ray that, to me, doesn't seem all that amazing. There is nothing in either issue to connect to the other. There's yeah. nothing there's nothing in this issue to suggest that he becomes that person and there's nothing in that issue to reflect back on anything in this issue. In they fact, could, he's doc he's Dr. Zemo here and Baron Zemo there, right? Or is he just Zemo? I, I think he's mostly just Zemo, but he is Dr. Zemo in one place in the Avengers. I don't think I could be wrong, but I don't think he's Baron Zemo yet. Okay. So never mind on that. But yeah, no connection. Which is weird. It's like a missed opportunity. Yeah, it, it feels like an afterthought, and it's kind of weird. It might have been just a possibility. It might have been a gimmick to get people to pick up Ayers' first issue. Do you think that this whole because thing was done? Do you think this whole thing was done and maybe just not lettered, and this guy was named Dr. Dr. Generic, and they're like, hey, why don't you call him Dr. Zemo? I mean, it's possible. Because they did right. say last issue that it was Kirby's last issue. They said that in the, in the book. And maybe somebody wouldn't have picked it up. Yeah, that. And, like, he really could just be anybody else and it wouldn't have mattered. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, he does have the castle, but it's not yeah. his castle necessarily. I don't know. And, like, of all the characters in Sergeant Fury that actually do figure into later Marvel continuity, Dr. Zemo is not a recurring character. This is his one World War II appearance in this book. Mm, and then there's a bunch of, yeah, then at some point he's just a flashback yeah, World War II it, guy. And it's always yeah. flashbacks in the context of Captain America and the context right. of wearing the hood. We never see, th- as far as I know, in the 50 years of comics, we never see this face again. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I just think it's com- they just made it up. That mm-hmm. makes perfect sense to me. Let me tell you what I hate about, uh, not hate, but you know when they make those like doom guns that they get so excited about and it's going to take over the world and stuff? Right. It's like, my doom gun can disintegrate you when it hits you. And it's like, yeah, well, my handgun can kill you when I shoot you with a bullet. So (laughs) we're pretty even. It still seems even. I get it that it has a laser and that looks cooler, but you still have to point and shoot. Right. It's not blowing up the world. It's like that blaster on Daleks. That does look really cool, but it could just be a a machine gun. Yeah. You'd get the same job done. That's kind of like my thing about First Avengers, too, is like his big plan was to have these tesseract powered guns and it's like yeah but the other side has guns too so you're still just shooting each other back and forth it's not like a given that you're gonna win with a gun it's just a gun i don't I mean know. i i guess they work against thor and hulk maybe we don't even we don't even know that though he's never seen them get hit by him yeah that wasn't even a factor for him he was just trying to kill the united states army it's like well sure but a bullet kills him too what's the difference you're working really hard for this laser gun yeah anyway any other thoughts on uh, Sergeant Fury 6? Uh, no, I mean, I'm glad to see the character. I'm looking forward to more of him. If they continue to do him right like this, that'll be fun. 
Uh, otherwise, it was pretty straightforward. They actually yeah. do promise. They promise at the end of this issue, they say, hey, we'll stop being repetitive, I think. Doesn't we'll try say, to pick uh, up a really different yarn for next ish. Yeah, because we're going <laughs> monthly. So we'll see if they keep up that promise or not. Yeah, because they are kind of getting repetitive. Issue, oh, issue seven has Hitler in it. Well, that's different, maybe. Yeah. Let's Still could be an impossible goes. mission and lots of hijinks, though. But we'll see. <laughs> we will see. Um, all right. The Avengers number six, also published on El Cinco de Mayo, 1964. Um, this is introducing Zemo. Ha ha ha. Joke's on you. He's already been introduced. should say re-introducing <gasps> Zemo. They screwed up. Right? Do they talk about Nick Fury in this book? Nope. Nothing nope. about this book clicks back to that book. See, they totally just changed Nick Fury to try and plug a vent or to try and get them to pick it up. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Wow. It's definitely possible. Uh, anyway. Introducing Zemo and his Masters of Evil. Is that a new corner box? I think it is. I noticed that too. It looked really lame. And I was like, going to look up to see what the old one was, but then I forgot. Okay, uh, it's not. Oh, no, it's not new. But it's all Avengers the same 4? headshots we've had since issue three. But with Captain America has been added in as of issue five. And Hulk okay. is still in the team. So here's the thing. They rearranged it a little bit. And they have Cap like also standing on Giant Man's hand, which is dumb. Uh-huh. And they have Hulk and Iron Man kind of shuffled off. So you only see like half of them. Right. And like Hulk's not even on the team anymore, like for the last two issues. So they could have opened that up a little bit. And yeah, compared to like the X-Men box, which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It looks like crazy, weird alien Cyclops and Gene behind him, and that's all you need. Right. Um, yeah. The Avengers just looks like slapped together, kind of lame, and I'm disappointed in it. Of course, it's um, just a box. But Yeah. Next issue will change a little bit because we're going to lose Hulk, and Captain America will go from an action pose to a headshot. Okay, cool. And I think that'll be it for a while. All right. So, credit, credit, credit. Where is the credit? Written by the inspired typewriter of Stan Lee. Drawn by the enchanted pencil of Jack Kirby. Inked by the gifted brush of Chic Stone. And lettered by the scratchy pen of S. Rosen. <laughs> I like when they give the inkers and letterers some fun. So last issue, there was mm-hmm. an emergency call. So the Avengers were like, off to the races. Emergency call. Let's go answer it. Um, but evidently they had to stop in Chicago to refuel their jet copter and while they're doing that um captain america's like "Ooh, let me show you my shield and these nifty magnetic gadgets and who's a what's that iron man has put in it not iron man uh yeah oh yeah it is, it is iron man yep. um so he shows off his really cool shield and he's like yeah except i'm still sad because bucky's dead and rick is like rick is like remember that one time you said i i could be a partner and, and, and Captain America is like, I know, but you know what? I need revenge. So he really wants revenge on the person who killed Bucky. We don't know who that is yet. Spoilers. He doesn't um, either. Oh, yeah, he does. Or I think does he, he does. I don't know. Well, he knows who was there at the mission. We just have, they haven't revealed it in story yet. Right, right, right. So we go to the South American jungle. And in the South American jungle is this dude with a fuchsia hood and a crown and like a palanquin that's carried by uh, natives. And he walks on the back of indigenous people because how white can you be? And um, 
this guy brings him a newspaper that shows Captain America back in action. And this guy, whose name, by the way, is Zemo, tears the newspaper to pieces and tramples on it to bits. It's pretty great. (laughs) And we get this flashback story of how Captain America and he were fighting in old Nazi Germany. And Captain America threw his shield and it hit this vat of glue. And the glue splooped down onto Baron Zemo's hood-covered head and glued it to his face forever. And 20 years later, it is, he has not washed his face since. It's horrible. So he really wishes he could get it off. And now Captain America, the person who is cursed into this existence, is still alive and still out there. Oh, my gosh. But he has a plan. Cut to uh, later in New York. And the Black Knight is flying through New York City, dropping glue over everything. What is up with that? And then the Melter shows up, and he's melting cars and melting guns and shooting glue all over everything. That's crazy. Radioactive Man turns out isn't dead, and he's shooting guns and shooting glue over everything. That's really weird. And the Avengers are like, why are you gluing up the city? And they attack, and... Uh, giant man steps in the glue and Captain America falls one knee into the glue and they're stuck there. And the rest of the Avengers, Iron Man's like, gotta stop the melter. And and then I, I gotta break this gluey ground out of the ground so that we can get Captain America and Giant Man home to unglue them. And the Wasp distracts the melter while they all fly away. And the Thor distracts uh, Black Knight while they all fly away. And as they're flying away, this hella hovercraft lands in the middle of the city and the diva himself, Dr. Zemo exits and glances around. Where is Captain America? He's not there. Um, so back in Avengers mansion, like, huh, this glue is really crazy. This is, this is crazy glue. And, um, that the, the, the was a joke. So uh, they're uh, <laughs> trying to figure out how to <laughs> unglue the Avengers. And the wasp is like, Wait a second. You know what? You know, you know, we could, we, we should do, we should. Okay. So the torch has this one bad guy and he always shoots glue everywhere. He must be like an expert in glue. So we're going to call him. So they call the prison and Jan asks for paste pot Pete and offers paste pot Pete. I don't know, a Snickers bar or some, some reward or something. If he will help them de-glue Captain America and Giant Man. Pace Pop Pete shows up and helps them de-glue Captain America and Giant Man. They get this whole barrel of, of anti-glue solution. So then the Teen Brigade gets together because they've been in the story a little bit in the background. And they go and infiltrate uh, Zemo's workers. And they start swapping out the glue barrels for glue melting barrels. And now whenever Zemo sends the Masters of Evil back over the town and they keep gluing the town, they're actually spreading glue solution everywhere. And the Avengers get the idea that, you know what? If we're going to fight these bad guys, it seems like each one of us has a bad guy. We should totally swap bad guys. Let's let's see if we can get some like acts of vengeance on these bad guys for being so crazy to us. And so they do. Um, <laughs> Thor fights Black Knight and Giant Man fights Radioactive Man and Iron Man fights the Melter. And Wait. Radioactive Man. <laughs> they don't, oh, they don't really stick to the plan. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Captain America also fights Zemo, which, you know, was, was I guess, he's like, okay, y'all can swap up, but Zemo's mine because he killed Bucky. Um, just trying to remember what happens next. I think there's this one part. Zemo's chief lieutenant this entire time has been this, like, you know, random bald guy. And at one point, he's going to shoot Captain America, 
but the wasp flies a nail up and drops it in the gun. So whenever he fires the gun, the bullet goes awry, uh, which helps Captain America get away. And Zemo flies away, and the cops take the bad guy, and they take all the masters of evil. They even take the winged horse, and um, Zemo gets away, except he doesn't because the one last canister of solution that he was going to use on his face to get his hood off. Ha ha ha. Joke's on you, Zemo. We put tear gas in that thing. And so his hella hovercraft crashes to the ground in the end. Super fun. Super fun. This was a fantastic issue. Pretty great. I have a few quibbles, but overall it was very entertaining. Yeah. So before we get into it, continuity note. Okay. Iron Man has changed his mask. And wow, it could only have happened between issue five of the Avengers and issue six of the Avengers. Even though we've actually seen him with the new mask in Iron Man already, he had his old mask in issue five and they have left issue five to come here. So, but, but that happened one right after the other. So what was he in his helicopter and he just switched his helmet? I guess he also put magnets in Steve's shield. So. Okay, so let's talk. Let's talk about that continuity. Yeah, let's let's talk about Captain America's shield. What do you think about that? All right. Well, that's a that's a Cap fan uh, conundrum because, as we all know, Captain America's shield is indestructible, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, the, here they are opening it like a pocket watch to to show off Iron Man's new transistor installation or magnetic installations. You know. Mm-hmm. So then you're scratching your head, going, "Well, how do you do that on an indestructible shield?" So two options is either A, this is not his actual shield shield. He put that aside in favor of using Iron Man's offer, like Iron Man created his own iron shield for him to mess around with and play with. Right. That's one easy option. Of course, they never say that on panel anywhere. So the other, of course, story-wise, we know that they just haven't established that it's indestructible yet. So, you know, you have to retcon this somehow. The other option, I think, is you could also just say that the shield is intact and and Iron Man maybe just added a back plate to it to cover his the electronic crap that he magnetized on it or something. Mm-hmm. That's what, That's I, what I was going with. Yeah, because otherwise, like, why would Cap like put away his trusty his trusty shield just to try something new? That seems odd. Yeah. See, this is one of the first places where we've seen a definite dome shape to the shield in the art. I mean, it's mm-hmm. mostly drawn as a disc in most most panels still. But there are a couple uh-huh. places where it looks like a dome and a dome with a flat backing. So you could mm-hmm. definitely retcon that he put the the electronic who's a what's this within the curvature of the shield on the back and then added a back plate. Um, seems to me that would make it heavier and more unwieldy, but it seems like the only it seems like the most viable option. I feel like this is just a Stanley thing because somewhere along the way people start saying nobody could bounce their shield like off five walls and have it hit you know a mosquito between the eyes and he's like oh that's true so i'm just gonna make it magnetized because then it's more logical when it bounces around Mm -hmm. but i'm really glad that it you know fairly quickly he just abandons that idea because it's kind of silly and i'd rather cap just be awesome at bouncing his shield off walls yeah the art forgets about it almost immediately and then there's a line of dialogue that just like says oh by the way we got rid of that yeah it didn't work out. It made my shield weird. And by the way, I can do um, it without magnets. Right. So, okay. Steve says he's really sad about Bucky being died dead. And Rick is like, Did, remember that one time you said that I would be your partner? <laughs> uh-huh. And 
It's the only time that they, between the two of them, have had this conversation on panel. The rest mm. of the time, it's always been other people. Oh, yes, Captain America has taken Rick Jones under his wing. It's so good right, that Captain right. America has taken... And the only time it's been suggested is that one time when Cap was still half delusional from having just been recovered from the ice, and he mm-hmm. wakes up in the hotel room and sees Rick Jones and thinks he's Bucky. Which I like. I think it's cool that you can write off his offer as being, you know, kind of half cocked and he's like just crazy out of it. Cause he clearly was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the idea that eventually when his sanity settles back in, he's like, wait a minute, why would I want to just endanger another kid? You know? So he's going to be reluctant. He, I think he's going to let, I know he's going to let him soon, but it's not going to last long and he's going to be reluctant about it the whole time. Now you said something that made me start thinking. Uh huh. Cause I'm not sure either. I don't- I don't know if this issue says that Zemo killed Bucky. Oh. No, I know it doesn't. But what I'm not sure about is, is Cap supposed to know? Right. Because he's got memory problems. He's mm-hmm. got not very great memory problems. And one thing he remembers when he woke up is how he, quote unquote, died and how Bucky died. But he doesn't say in Avengers 4, and then this evil villain Zemo strapped us to a rocket, Right. It's just this gray hand, and we don't know. And you could say, oh, well, of course, because they didn't make that up yet. But does Cap know at this point? Because all he cares about is that adventure where he stopped him with the adhesive X and stuff. He does. He sees the glue, and it, like, sparks a memory. Oh, wait a second. I fought a guy once who dealt with glue a lot. Yeah. He doesn't say say, this is the guy who killed Bucky. At the same time, though, on page two, the last panel, he's like, I must find the guy who killed Bucky. I will devote my life to it. So it seems like it's related. It but, seems like Stan knows where this is going, but does Captain uh-huh. America know where this is going? Let's see what he says. He says, but something else has too a hunger for revenge on my oath as an Avenger. Because, geez, he's really an Avenger now. Right. I shall devote my... <laughs> he likes being an Avenger more than the Avengers founders like being Avengers. Um, I shall devote my life, if need be, to finding the one, finding the one who caused Bucky's death. So does that mean finding, like, I have to figure it out, or I already know where he is and I just got to find him? It could easily be read either way. And the fact that we immediately transition to Baron Zemo seems to tell us exactly that that's who it's going to be. It's just the story never actually connects those dots. No, even Zemo, who flashes back, does never say something like, and then I totally thought I killed him. Well, no, he thought he... Okay. He thought he was dead. He thought he was dead. You're right. He doesn't say, like, it was me who strapped him to a rocket and seemingly killed him. How did he escape? He doesn't say anything like that. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. I thought I had gotten rid of both of them forever. Ah, so that's, there you go. That's a line. You can latch onto that. That's a line. It's on the bottom of page three. How was I to know what's Captain America to you? Silence, I thought I had gotten rid of both of them forever, but the most dangerous one still lives. Do you hear he still lives? Ah, so he admits it here. Right. But Cap doesn't seem to know. So we'll we'll see, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. Because not, I mean, you would think at the end when there's this big fight scene and he's talking about justice over tyranny, he not never (gasps) once says, I'm going to revenge Bucky. Okay, you're right, you're right. Captain America does not, but it, it, it clinches even further from Zemo's perspective. On the bottom of page four, in the middle panel, he says, Before coming here, I had my revenge, or so I thought. I found a way to escape, and then I attacked Captain America and his young partner, Bucky. I thought oh. I had destroyed them both. See Avengers number oh. four. Well, there so you go. So we have definitely, we have been told that Zemo 
killed them and was in the scene of the Avengers 4. We don't know necessarily Captain America knows, but honestly, I feel like he should because I feel like he was there. He saw the guy that we only saw in Shadows. He should know that it's Zemo. Well, the thing is, he's very very angry about Zemo. Um, That's for sure. He like real like he even comes up with the plan. All Avengers switch and fight somebody different, but not me. I'm gonna punch Zemo. And there's like this big, awesome, epic Kirby fight in the end where he's given his Captain America speeches about how Zemo's not gonna win. But never once does he say like, "And you killed my best friend, and I hate you." Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that means. It's even interesting because he said back there on page two, "I must devote my life to finding the one who killed Bucky." But in page seven, panel four, he says, it's impossible, but it could be the answer. He may still be alive. Uh Uh-huh. So he doesn't even know if the guy who killed Bucky is alive. Right. So it's a little bit of a little bit of an interesting writing spin here that probably we're reading way too much into, but I like, I like, I like nuance. I, I think the great thing about retcons in Captain America is you could easily chuck all this to like, you know, his faulty memory. He always mm-hmm. has faulty memory all the time. Even today, he has faulty <laughs> memory. You know, anytime you want to change his past, just have him remember it a different way. So we could just say that he doesn't remember it with Zemo specifically. He remembers the rocket. He remembers the death, but not who was behind it. Right. But we'll see. Just, just, to, just to pull his exact words out one more time, on the bottom of page 12, he says, if the leader of that trio is who I think it is, I'll have my own enemy all cut out for me. Yeah. So. So he remembers Zemo. That's clear. But anyway, we're going on and on about this. But you know what's fun? You know what one of my favorite parts of this book is? This pilot. This pilot guy. (laughs) I just read it. I don't know if that's how we're supposed to read it. But it's this dude who's like, this Zemo dude's crazy. But he sure pays in good gold. And then he shows up. Hey, Zemo. He's just waving. And Zemo's like, silence and wait till I approach you. And then he has all his slaves like kneel down so he can walk on their back. And the guy's just like, okay, whatever you say. (laughs) He's like, if I could fix this accursed hood. Hey, how'd that hood get stuck? Shut up. You don't know anything about me. Okay, whatever you say. And he's like, how come you didn't tell me about Captain America? Why was I supposed to tell you about Captain America? He's just like this dude who wants money. And Zemo's just this over-the-top villain. That means nothing to him. It just really right. kind of cracked me up. Cracked me up. I, I'm just I'm just your glue handler, man. I fly your planes. I put your glue <laughs> right? in the barrels. You are one weird dude. Have you signed the pay stub for Tuesday yet? Yeah. Um, so I w- looked up all the bad guys. Um, the Black Knight, it says oh, thank in you the for book doing that, that uh, he fought in um, Tales to Astonish. It said the number in the book, and I forgot to write it down. Um, mm-hmm. and that was about six months ago. 52. And, uh, yeah, 52. And that did end with Black Knight flying off on his horse. So he got away. Okay, so he got away. And then the Melter, also known as the Softener, fought Iron Man <laughs> in, <laughs> in Tales of Suspense 47. That was nine months ago. And the last okay. time we saw him, he was swimming through the sewer water to get away from Iron Man. So he got away. Wow. Not and great for our he, heroes. Right. Hopefully he's had a shower since then. Yeah. The radioactive man blew himself up real good at the end oh, of Journey into Mystery 93. That was over a year ago. But I guess now, they don't, they don't explain how he came back. But since he's radioactive, man, don't you just kind of shrug it off and go, he probably pulled himself together? Yeah. I mean, I guess he's like Nitro, the guy that you know come up with in the Captain Marvel series later. Um, yeah. Explodes and pulls himself back together. That's his power. 
Yeah. But, anybody anybody who's made of like living living radioactivity, I feel like they can just eventually piece themselves back together for some reason. Was, isn't the porcupine man who shrank himself down to the microverse? Not uh, porcupine yeah. man, but the porcupine. Yeah. And he's going to show up in a team later with no explanation either. Ah, see, they were really good about Doom, but they don't always explain everything else. Right. They forget. Oh, well. Oh, well. Um, I like that Jan, I mean, I feel like I'm sort of being really happy about breadcrumbs here, but Jan <laughs> did have a couple of good moments in this. Uh-huh. Um, she distracts the Melter while the Avengers can get away on their glue platform. While we're on that scene, which, though, I which am highly... I, that's hilarious. What's that? It's a hilarious scene. Yeah. And yeah. then Iron Man just, like, gets in the truck. <laughs> I'm highly... Like, like, movie Iron Man in his big old Iron Man suit, squeezing in behind the wheel of a truck. I find that amusing. Oh, and then, and then just squatting because they're stuck on a... On a piece of road. I mean, yeah, they're like surfing. It's a, it's a pretty embarrassing Avengers moment. I hope they appreciate it. But then also Jan towards the end um, with uh, put, putting the nail in the gun and, and, and uh, paste pot Pete. I know it's kind oh, of a yeah. jump in logic. It's kind of a jump in logic to just assume that because a guy has adhesive powers that he would know everything about adhesive. But I do love that they brought him in, and I do love when there's connectivity like that. Uh huh. Um, so I thought that was a great part of the story. Like he's only in it for two panels, but like, he's the one who provides the barrel to cure this problem. And, we're gonna and it was all Jan's idea. It was Jan's idea. Um, yeah. whenever she's flying with the nail, I like the way it's written. Cause Henry's like, grab that nail. Oh, you know what to do. Yeah. And she just like flies the nail up and takes care of it. Cause she knows exactly what she knows how to superhero. She knows what's going on. Um, is that paste pot Pete? Uh, well, it says it is, but it sure looks more like the thinker to me. I was thinking the wizard, even. I mean, the wizard. That's what I meant. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. The wizard. Yeah. I'm confusing my smart villains. I, I don't know why the wizard is pretending to be Pastepot Pete. I'm sure he thinks he's clever. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think they just forgot what he looks like or something. Yeah, because they Pace forgot. They, Pete. they forget Rick Jones's name in this entire thing, too. So, did they get his name wrong in this? Rick Brown's Team Brigade. They call oh, him Rick wow. Brown the entire time. Like multiple captions, not just one slip up. I missed that. That's funny. Yeah. But yeah, he looked more like the the thinker or the wizard to me. Then um, Zemo lands in the middle of the city like a like a flippin' diva. It's like Vegeta when he lands at a fight scene. He's just like, dun, dun, dun. And just like steps out of his hella hovercraft and just like perusing the scenery. Yeah. Um, this, this is the part, the one part maybe that I question in an otherwise good story is like he just openly lands and everybody knows where he is to where the team brigade can like sneak around and switch canisters on him and stuff like that like hello police and you know army and more avengers and yeah that was a little weird yeah he must be there for a while because like we cut to the avengers scene and they they call the prison they get the glue they undo the glue they all this stuff meanwhile zemo prepares for a new assault as he refills his canisters Really? Just like sitting there? You do that? Okay. Yeah, and nobody cares, even though nobody you cares. this big entrance. Anyway. It's only Times Square. It's not a busy area. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I like this business. I mean, it's not a. It's not the most ingenious plan, switching your guys, and they actually don't even stick with it. Right. But I like how the Avengers are all impressed, like that Cap came up with it. And I don't know who says it, because it's a balloon off panel, but it's like... We're so glad that he's on our team now because he actually comes up with ideas. We sort of just meandered around and did nothing for the first three issues. And Thor always sounds highfalutin. Yeah. Um, I like 
the switch, even though, like I said, like I don't get how they can just easily pull that off. But it was funny to see like them undoing all their hard work. That was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, with all the because here's the thing is like Zemo does not have a solution for this glue. He's no. just going to cover the city in glue. That's his plan to cover <laughs> the city in glue and just freaking leave it there. That's. That's, well, he's a he's a tyrant. I don't know if he cares about robbing banks or anything. He just wants to ruin lives, I, I suppose. I guess. His like the glue thing, I mean, as much as I like the idea of this guy who has a mask stuck to his face, it kind of never had made sense to me. Uh, like at least the way they draw it, this entire vat of glue that can't dissolve mm-hmm. pours on his head and he doesn't just die. Right. Like how come there's not a big glob of glue on his face? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. It's one of those things you have to... It's a comic book story yeah. to the core. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the uh, the uh, the one time they do switch, really, is Thor versus Black Knight. Mm-hmm. And that was a great fight. I love how Black Knight's like, I've defeated Iron Man. And Thor's just like, okay. <laughs> or I'm sorry, I've defeated Giant... <laughs> I've defeated Giant Man, so you're nothing, okay? And then just like totally destroys him. That was great. He even steals his horse just to really rub it in. Yes. That was fantastic. Thor on, horse. Thor on a winged horse should just be a staple after this issue because it looked so cool. It does look really cool. And it is a Norse thing. Like, like doesn't don't the Valkyries ride on winged horses? Isn't that a thing? Sure. That's why I think it's awesome because it's like this is probably not his first winged horse. Right. <laughs> you know, this is like old hat to him. This is how our horses look. Um, page 18 at the beginning, Giant Man, now reduced to his dual role of Ant-Man, pulls uh-huh. himself together after his physically exhausting ordeal of changing size so quickly and so often. And he yeah. says, now that I've shaken the cobwebs out, Jan, I think we better see what happened to Captain America. I think this is the first time we've been told explicitly that the size changing is hard on him. We were told that going too big is not good for him. Yeah, it can weaken but him. It can weaken him, and he falls over and breaks his house. But yeah, I don't think that because in his own book, he changes sizes all the time as a strategy. Mm-hmm. Definitely thinking, in recent issues too. I was thinking though that since he's still doing it with a pill, I don't know about you, but and I think I'm a pretty good pill swallower. But <laughs> I was thinking like if Radioactive Man is throwing his thing at me, and I have to time it just right to swallow this pill so that I disappear and then re- and swallow another pill and reappear behind him, that would just I would just die. Yeah, you had to get like the candy coating. Because I'd just be sitting there going, okay, relax, relax the throat, relax the throat. Right, right. <laughs> As the thing hits me in the face. So he needs to come up with a better system. Candy coating, small bit of oil to lubricate it down the throat, just like throwing your mouth, it slides down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but this is definitely going to come up again. Like, I'm surprised it's actually seeded this early because they're going to use this idea in like two years. What, that he's he can't swallow? No, that he can't change back and forth. Oh, the whole yeah, time. yeah. I'm surprised they haven't done that the whole time because they love to give weaknesses to these guys. Yeah. Well, eventually that's going to be like the main core of his drama is his size changing problems. Yeah. Um, I am running out of things to say. Um, well, it was a fantastic fight in the end, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does get shot in the head, but it just grazes him. But apparently that means nothing because by the end he's just walking around fine. You mean Captain America? Yeah. He hears the click, and his reaction time is so fast that he manages to dodge it just enough so it doesn't actually explode his brain. Mm-hmm. But it um, 
it grazes his skull, it says, and he falls over. And that's why Jan has to save him because he's going to go for another shot. Oh, that's right. And then, like, he's fine. So, I'm, so much, you know. I guess there's there's enough protection in the cowl that he can, like, recover after a few minutes. Yeah, he's a super soldier, too. So, I just think Stan's kind of all over the place. Like, he wants him to just be a regular guy, but you can also get grazed in the head by a bullet and be fine. Well, to be fair, he's basically out of the fight. There's not a whole lot of fight left, but Captain America no. doesn't do anything else after. Well, he stands up. Yeah, he does so stand that, up. That's a pretty good job. Oh, my God. That end really makes me laugh, too. I could just visualize that. Like, Zemo got away. No, he didn't. He thinks he has a canister of adhesive curing stuff, but he really has a uh, tear gas. And then you just see the helicopter and slowly float to the ground and get arrested. That was funny. Well, I'll be honest, the last time I read through this series, I did not love this early run. Like, very few of these early issues were really doing anything for me. But it's weird how different reading, different times reading the same stuff can feel different. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm actually excited for this to go monthly and to get into more issues. Because, I mean, some have been better than others, but I've been really digging the Avengers. And I remember last time reading through it, just like, oh my god, even the Kirby stuff is a slog. I am not slogging, I'm digging. I think it has a slow start. Like all the Hulk stuff kind of just felt a little back and forth to me, but now it's getting somewhere. And of course the masters of evil are like their staple villain. So we mm-hmm. now got, we have Avengers as a varsity team. And now we have this varsity Avenger or Avengers villainy team. That's just pretty cool stuff. And issue seven is going to keep Zemo, but like doing his spin on it. And it's going to bring some Thor villains in. I'm really excited for that. Mm-hmm. Um, another minor continuity note, this series has been vaguely connected from the end of one issue into the next, ever since issue two. Wow. That's true, huh? Like, you could put stuff between issues, but they're be- definitely picking up plot threads every single issue. That's Kirby, I think, because he's doing that in Thor, too, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And kind of in X-Men. You want to move on to X-Men, or is there anything else? Hey, X-Men. X-Men number six. X-Men. Sounds good to me. X-Men. Okay, so I got this one. X-Men number six. Special guest issue, because it's special when Submariner is in your book. Is it though? Is it is it really? No, it's not. I wish we'd been keeping track of guest star crossovers because I'm pretty sure he'd be the winner. Yeah, he has been in. He has not been in Spider Man yet. Oh wow! Well, he's really slacking. Um, Doctor Doom's been in Spider Man, right? Okay, so just to just to recalibrate, still on sale May fifth, cover dated July, both years 1964. Uh, let's see if there's any special written. With the flair of Stan Lee, drawn with the air of Jack Kirby, inked with the care of Schick Stone, lettered on a dare by San Rosen. So they went a little Dr. Seuss on that one. It's called X-Men. Oh, no, it's not. That's what the book's called. It's called Submariner Joins the Evil Mutants. That's a lie. That's a lie. (laughs) Anyway, starts out with them all eating breakfast, the X-Men. And, of course, they can't do that without using all their powers. So there's a bunch of shenanigans there. Meanwhile, Professor X is reading in the paper about Submariner and thinks, hey, this guy seems kind of mutant-like. Maybe we should recruit him. Meanwhile, we cut to Magneto. And they're doing a bunch of weird shenanigans, too, with their powers. And he's like, hey, I think I should recruit Submariner. So... Do you remember how, like, in addition to being the master of magnetism, Magneto is also a telepath, second only to Xavier? Me too. So he sits in a chair (laughs) and sends his, like, telepathic mind, astral self kind of, out to find Submariner. Meanwhile, ironically, 
if it's ironic, I don't know. Coincidentally, maybe it's a better way to say that. Professor X is doing the same thing. And there's these cool scenes of both of them kind of like spiritually, spectrally walking around to the bottom of the ocean and stuff. But Professor X senses that Magneto's near and he just goes, run away, and gets out because he doesn't want Magneto to know he's also trying to recruit Submariner. Um, Magneto, Magneto's mind finds the Submariner who is very upset about Fantastic Four number 27. And he's throwing stuff around and he's telling all his people to leave him. He doesn't even want to be king of anybody anymore. Just go away. Sue rejected me. I hate life. I hate humans. So Magneto's like, well, he doesn't seem like he's really ready to hear my recruitment speech. So he instead uses his awesome magnetic powers to telepathically find a member of Submariner's, uh, you know, uh, people who is kind of mean and gross and weird. And he's like, hey. If you give Submariner a message for me, he'll leave. Trust me. I promise you, he'll leave, and you could take over his throne. So the guy's, like, rubbing his hands together. Okay, I'll do that. So he does that, and the message is something like, you should go out there and join with Magneto, because even though you hate humans, Magneto's not really a human human. He's like a human mutant, so that's different. And he's really powerful, so the two of you joining forces, you know? And so Submariner falls for that and goes on his way. Meanwhile, the X-Men have figured out where Magneto has been hiding because they've gotten reports that these boats are having problems in this one island because it's full of weird magnetism. So they get on a boat and they go over there. Also, so all these forces are joining together onto this one island. Submariner shows up first, though. And he jumps out, and the first thing he says to everybody is, Silence, don't talk to me. I'm a prince. I have joined up with other bad guys before, and it never works out for me. So before I even sign up for this shenanigan... Uh, I'm going to look around your island and make sure it's not full of traps and weird stuff and see if I like your overall vibe. Magneto's cool with that because he's walking on eggshells, really wanting this guy to join him. Um, he's like, you know what? I have this idea. While Submariner's looking around, let's throw Wanda at him because she's cute and he likes <sighs> Earth Girls. He likes Earth Girls a lot. So, or human girls, I should say, because he's not an alien. Uh, so maybe he'll join just because he thinks she's cute. So... Wanda walks over there, and she, like Sue, is uh, animally attracted to him, I guess, because he walks around in shorty shorts and has really good muscles and stuff. And she reaches out to get his attention and touch him, but she's so, like, enamored and kind of nervous that she accidentally hexes him instead. (laughs) And, like, electricity from – this whole island is rigged with, like, you know – magnet or metal and stuff so that Magneto Magneto can, like, control it and everything. So something shocks – uh, Submariner, but he doesn't mind because she is pretty and she apologizes. And just when they're all like kind of getting along, Angel flies in and attacks because the X-Men are there and Angel is the first to scout ahead because he can fly. So he attacks and Magneto tries to throw boulders at him and stuff, but Angel's like, I'm the most powerful X-Man because I can fly. And he flies around and then Submariner goes, I got this and grabs him and throws him really far and it made me laugh. Um, Then Magneto destroys their boat. Iceman ices them over. They all get into a lot of fights. I'm not going to get into too much detail other than to say at some point, uh, Jean Grey captures Quicksilver in her telekinesis. She spins him around and stuff. And that really freaks out Wanda. Oh, no, my brother. Magneto's like, I don't care about your brother. I'm going to kill them all with this awesome mega bomb. And she's like, no, but my brother's out there. Don't do that. I don't care. And Submariner is not having any of that. He's like, you don't talk to women like that. And uh, I'm not going to join anybody who talks to women like that. And he just totally destroys, like, 
Magneto's dashboard, which makes Magneto mad. And he starts having metal like surround Submariner. But then Cyclops comes in and starts blasting. And then at some point, Magneto and Toad and Mastermind jump into a ship and he tells Wanda to come. And she's like, no, because they still have my brother. So he's like, fine, I'm going to leave you. And he locks them all in a room. And Submariner's about to fight the X-Men, but Wanda kind of like convinces him. Well, actually, they do fight and they totally have no chance against him pretty much, it seems like, until Cyclops starts shooting a beam. And, you know, that sort of evens him out a little bit. But ultimately, Wanda like convinces Submariner not to fight because they have her brother. But then Professor X shows up with her brother. And he has her under a tra- he has him under a trance, and he's like, "No, we're not being mean. We're just holding him. We'll totally let him go. Let's all not fight, because I can sense Submariner that you're not really into this either. Let's just all, you know, chill." So Professor X releases his hold on Quicksilver. Wanda's kind of happy about that. Namor's totally annoyed, but he doesn't really want to kill anybody or anything either. He sort of just wants to leave the whole thing. Like he's annoyed that he got recruited into this in the first place. So he starts walking away. Magneto makes the mistake of trying to destroy him with a magnetic beam but so powerful is submariner that he resists the beam and like just flings his fists and that causes like a feedback which blows up the magnet on the island and pretty much wrecks magneto magneto's power and then he just jumps in the ocean and leaves um magneto jumps into the rocket and at the last minute wanda and quicksilver decide to join him for some reason and they leave and the x-men are standing there like okay everybody left the end Yeah, this is an odd, odd issue. I'll tell you, though, I saw Submariner on the cover, and I did groan about it, because I'm kind of sick of him, but I really liked him in this issue. So, I'm kind of glad he was there. If it weren't for the fact that Magneto pulls a lot's daughters and, like, offers Wanda up to him... (laughs) Yeah, but that's not his fault. (laughs) It's not, it's not, that is not Namor's fault, and Namor doesn't take advantage of it. Namor doesn't even pursue Wanda. If anything, Namor gives Wanda nothing but respect throughout the story. That's right. Um, so he does get to be awesome in this. But Magneto, Magneto is a horrible person. And I don't just mean because of this issue, but this issue really cements it for me. Mm-hmm. Like it probably, I don't know when he becomes a more interesting character. Because when I... When I was, yeah, Claremont, I guess. Because when I was growing up, he was a fairly interesting, you don't know which way he's going to side kind of character. In this, he's just straight up comical villainy. Like all the bad choices. Every chance he has to be a nastier, grosser person, he takes it in this issue. Yeah. Not in every issue he's been in. Mm-hmm. He's really one dimensional. It's kind of, I don't know, sad, I guess. Um, couple of things. Jean Grey still has her look that she had in the Fantastic Four 28, which is, oh, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, some yeah. continuity there. Mm-hmm. Um, man, now, okay. Okay, so when you eat pie <laughs> and yes. you want and you want it a la mode, does the restaurant just put a snowball on it? Because that was weird, Bobby. That did happen one time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you I never think went back to like that restaurant? A- we never went back there. It was called Apple Pie a la Sweaty Boy Hand Mode. And, you know, I ordered it anyway because I figured it was like, you know, for grins or whatever. But, yeah, it was not good. So that is not ice cream, Bobby. It is not, not ice makes, cream. It's just so weird if you think about it. Like he's literally just putting snow on the top of a pie and thinking that's going to make it taste better. It's just so weird. Anyway, just a little I thing. Did, 
I didn't even, I didn't, most of my thoughts about the, about the first half of this issue, because the second half is pretty much fight scene. Um, I didn't like how the plot was even triggered. Xavier is sitting there looking at the newspaper. Oh, Submarine. Okay. Yeah. Huh. I wonder, wonder if he might be a mutant. Hmm, that's interesting. If, if he were a mutant, we'd probably want to get to him before Magneto did. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we should just go check out switch scene. Magneto's like, we must find Submariner. We must find him now. Yeah. It's not the first time they've done the whole like, hey, I wonder whatever happened to this guy. And then we know that's what the issue is going to be about. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is weird that they both came to that same conclusion, especially since, like, again, Submariner is an Atlantean. Is he not a known Atlantean or does nobody know what he is or something? Like, if I was Professor X, I wouldn't jump to the idea that he's a mutant. Right. I mean, they're Yeah. No, you're right. It's It's a weird conclusion to make. Why would you think he was a mutant unless... Unless he's thinking about the things that we've thought about, like his wing defeat and stuff. But has they have they do they know a lot about Atlanteans? Even I don't know. even even Submariner can't find his own people. So how do we know about them? Maybe they all look like Namer. In theory, we had communic we had contact with them in the forties. Okay. Because of all like the invasions and but just seems like a big jump. And like there's yeah. other there's other mutants you could be looking for. But even if it was just even if it was just a random idea that popped into Xavier's brain for no reason, that's okay. That happens sometimes. He could think about it like, okay, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But then to be, have that be like the instigator of the entire plot and Magneto mm-hmm. thinks about the exact same thought with conviction at the exact same. It's just, it's just weird. Yeah. Um, mastermind. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you, know, you putting? It's like- it's like they needed an extra page or something. I didn't even summarize that because it was so pointless. He's but he's, yeah, his, his excuse is that he's practicing his illusions. But what he does is he puts Cyclops getting ready to shoot Magneto right in front of Magneto. And Magneto pulls out his big old 90s gun and blasts the image of Cyclops. Yeah. Which... Doesn't hit Cyclops because he's not real, but almost hit Wanda, and Quicksilver has to run faster than light to get her out of the path. It's like, oh, Magneto's holding that big gun again? I know. You know, I've always wanted to try and make a Cyclops. Let's see if this is a good time. Yeah. Mastermind and Toad do nothing in this issue, by the way, except incur his wrath. Yeah. The, like, the Mastermind has become Toad. A bit. Which is kind of sad because he seemed like a cooler character initially. He definitely has more going on than Toad has. Not anymore. Now they both just get smacked around and don't do anything. But Well, don't worry. Mastermind will date Gene later. Yeah. Um, and by date, so, I mean like seduce under false yeah. pretenses and sexually assault. Right. <laughs> right. Comics. So Magneto's a telepath now. Like I can't even come up with a headcanon for this. I can't uh, figure out one. I was trying. The helmet maybe? I don't know. His mental power is second only to Xavier's, really? And he, yeah, and he does the same thing Xavier does. Which we've never seen Xavier do this either. They both are sitting on astral forms for the first time. True, and I'm, but I'm cool with it with Xavier. I think that's really cool. I really like seeing him walking, and I like the ocean bits, and him just kind of searching for Submariner. I don't understand why Magneto even needs to have done this in this issue, because he doesn't confront Namor directly anyway. No, he subverts a henchman, which, by the way, Doctor Strange's astral form is not usually visible by other people. I would have expected Professor Xavier's astral form to not be visible to other people. Magneto's, though, Magneto's astral form is visible. Okay, so maybe well, he's actually 
I was gonna say maybe he's actually doing like some sort of like magnetic particle image, but how would he project it that far? Do they call it an astral projection? See, I don't think it's the same thing as Doctor Strange, in my opinion. Like, this is just his brain, his telepathy, like wandering around. So, and this is a visual visual representation of it, kind of. I'll, to bu- me. I'll buy that. They don't call it astral form or ectoplasmic image, which is what Doctor Strange is currently calling it. They just it's like it's a proje- projection of mental power. Yeah. So, like, you could argue maybe like. If Professor Xavier wanted to, he could talk to somebody and even project his image into that person's brain while they're talking. So maybe that's what Magneto's doing because he's also a telepath now. It would have been easier if like the bad guy was just like, I want to get rid of Prince Namor. So I'm going to suggest that he goes and teams up with somebody else. And that's how you start this story. Instead of um, creating, creating this weird telepathy that he will never have again, hopefully. And honestly, I'm not sure that Xavier does the whole astral form thing or whatever you want to call it. I don't think he does that very much in comics. Um, he gets in fights with uh, other telepaths in like like a head world or whatever where they have mm-hmm. armor and, and swords and stuff. Just to have a visual representation of their fight. Right. But yeah, he doesn't just walk around like a ghost all the time. And there is just to reinforce that this is actually telepathy going on with Magneto at the very end. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch board his ship because of his mental command. <sighs> that was such a tack on. Mm-hmm. And they I ran out was, of pages. They ran out of pages, but I also felt like Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver would totally have stayed with the X-Men at this point. I think they're ready to make that change in their storyline. You're right. So it was just like, a, oh, well, we don't want to do that yet. So let's just have a mentally manipulated in one panel. Yeah. Um, speaking of Scarlet Witch, I'm going to have to address a little bit of that with her here. Okay. Because the stuff with, the stuff with Magneto is, I mean, it's unconscionable, really. It's, it's terrible, terrible choices from the writers. And so I wrestled with it for a while. I wrestled with, okay, okay. Not only do they have Magneto forcing her into this situation, but depending on how you read it, we have her liking it. Well, interesting. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so... Do you want to share your thoughts on it? Because I I kind of reached a place of thought with it. Well, I'm glad that if anybody's going to do this reprehensible thing, it is Magneto because we've established he's reprehensible. Mm -hmm. Like more so than any other villain we've we've read. He always does the bad thing, like you just said. Um, So that flies with me that he's doing this. Um, I think – like it seems like the girls just really like Namor. And I know maybe that's just a sexist way to write them. But at the same time, it could also be like – uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just a consistent reaction because he is pretty hot, you know? Yes. And I don't un- know. Under any other circumstances, I would totally be down with her and her burgeoning sexuality and being attracted to Namor. And that'd be totally valid. I mean, she's young. She is impressionable. This is, you know, she grew up in an Eastern European village. This is a half naked man. Sure, but it's just in this particular context. So the way I decided is the, in my opinion, the best treatment of water that I could come up with is not that she likes it, Mm -hmm. is that she's going along with this situation because she, you know, she feels that she's, she has to, she's obligated to Magneto um, because, you know, saving her from the village, all that stuff, all these pressures on her. She is trying to convince herself, okay, so yeah, I guess... He looks great and, um, you know, whatever. And then she throws a hex bolt and she says it's unconscious or it's unintended. But I kind of feel like it's it's like unconsciously intentional. 
and it has the result of making her a force to be reckoned with in Namor's eyes. Because the end of that scene is Namor looking at her with respect and um, not as a conquest or prize, mm-hmm. which that's just how I ran with it because I couldn't think of a better. That's the only, it's the only good reading I could come up with. So he says, you know, let's push her into Namor and he'll like her and he'll stay with us. And, and her brother's like, no, you can't do that. She's not a, you know, hooker or whatever. And, right. and he, she is in this stage in her brain where like, she just feels completely beholden to Magneto because he saved their lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Like she cannot get past that hang up. So she's like, okay, brother, it's okay. We owe him our lives. So we have to do anything he says apparently from now on. Cause that's the culture she comes from or something. Mm-hmm. Um, she then in her thought bubbles comments that he is noble and muscular and fascinating looking. She doesn't say, Oh, this might not be a bad thing after all. I got the hots for him. You know, he's standing there looking pretty noble and muscular and fascinating. And then she thinks, why would somebody that looks so cool join with the evil Magneto? So she is admitting that he's evil. She knows that he's evil and yet still going along with this. And then maybe at that point, yeah, maybe the hex power wasn't on purpose or accident, but I never got the impression that she was, happy to hook up with him. Like that was like something she wanted just because she thought he looked noble or fascinating. Right. She wasn't like fanning herself. She looked nervous. And a lot of times it all depends on the nuance of how you're reading the words in your, in your mind. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, there are times where what could be fright is actually determination. Uh, you know, it, it all depends on how something is being said. So yeah, um, I agree. She's not entranced by him. She's, taking him in, you know, mentally registering how he looks or whatever. If anything, you could argue that her hesitation is she doesn't want to rope this seemingly fascinating and noble person into this horrible team that she's on. Right, right. Because I think she knows that Magneto's evil. So why she's continuing to let him guilt her, I'm not sure. It's gone too far. She does seem to be the deciding factor on this. I feel like Quicksilver is following her lead on this. Oh, yeah. He'll just do whatever she wants. In previous issues, yeah. So their storyline in the X-Men does not have that much farther to go. So be curious to see how, how the new, how things go. I like that. Um, that neighbor is Namer is a chivalrous guy. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's like, like there's one point where he says, you don't talk to women like that and beats on Magneto. But even here, like normally if someone electrocuted him, his reaction wouldn't have just been like, cool. (laughs) Right. But he was cool with it. Not cool with it, but he's just like, did you do that? And she's like, yeah, I didn't mean to. And he's like, okay, that's fine. Like anybody else, if Human Torch did that, there'd be a punch. And there, there is the argument to be made that chivalrism, I know. chivalry is not always the best attitude, but I don't, I don't necessarily need to go into that here. Well, I think it's a good character trait for Namor, though. Yeah. I don't know why. It fits his character. Whether you think people should think that way or not, that's a whole different issue. It, it fits the character well, you're right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, the X Men number six not not the not the best issue of the series to date. No, um, we didn't I even mostly... talk about. I, I was going to mention how the the fortress totally looks like a Mega Man level. <laughs> it's just got a giant magnet on it. Yeah, I know a horseshoe magnet. And there's like that's their only way of representing magnets is horseshoe magnets. I guess it it, it does it does scream magnet. Magnetism in this is just used as Doctor Zemo's death rays. It's just a laser beam. I'm going to shoot magnet at you and, and you'll be, you know, you're going to blow up your ship. How is magnetism blowing up that ship? Really? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it says like all the rocks are laced with metal or something. So maybe he, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's just a ray. So I can't even argue that. I was going to say maybe he's throwing boulders at it or something, but it's just a ray. Maybe there are nails holding the ship together. You could, I guess you could argue it, but there are a lot of places where there's just like pink warblies being shot at people and it's magnetism. Hmm. I don't know. My favorite thing in this was ironically Submariner, which is the thing I didn't want to read about when I I saw the cover. But he was fun in this. Everything else was just like the same old shenanigans, kind of. Well, so far this month, I think we have a pretty clear contender for top and bottom. So far, I'm thinking Avengers on top and X-Men on bottom. Oh, well, I don't know. I think I enjoyed X-Men a little more than that. I don't know. We'll see. I haven't read the rest of them yet. Yeah. But definitely Avengers was my favorite so far. So far. But we've got right, Spider-Man well, and Fantastic Four and Iron Man. Yep. yep. Next issue, there's a, a Strange Tales, too. Oh, that'll win. Next uh, next episode, I should say. Oh, Loki's in it. And the Beetle. And the Beetle. I think we talked about that last time. Okay. Yeah, that'll be good. All right. Should we start to wrap this puppy up? Sure. How do we do that? Well, um, I, I'm bringing up the Twitters. Okay. So while you do that. Thanks some people. Yeah. While you do that, you can find our show. If you want to like be thanked because of your Twittering or your Facebooking, you can find the links to those for our show at makearsmarvel.com. That's where you're going to find the link to our Facebook and Twitter and soon-to-be-gone Google Plus page. Um, and, of course, there is where you'll also find the links to all the ways to subscribe. Of course, even easier is just to pull open your phone and use your favorite uh, way to find podcast and just type makearsmarvel.com but while you're at the website you can also use our form to email us or you can just email directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com every so often we read those letters and respond so we definitely welcome them we have just a few new likes and follows over on twitter we have been recently followed by the bat pod which is a batman comic book podcast hosted by gotham knight 13 and joey galvez 84 uh, celebrating his characters and storylines. We also also been followed by Ronnie Belmont, who likes wrestling, comics, and occasional art ramblings. And when it was cool, when it was cool.com at WIW Cool is a uh, podcast about classic rock, retro pop culture, TV, comics, toys, and more. So thank you very much for following the show on Twitter. And Eric Royer who's been a friend of mine for a while on Facebook, has recently started liking the show on on the, uh, what's it called? Twitter? Facebook. Oh, Facebook. The other one. Yeah, yeah, sure. So thank you all very much for following us. You can find both of us on Twitter. Uh, make our, like Mike said all the stuff. I'm also at John Reads Comics. And you can follow my other shows at All the Pouches and at Silly Sentai on Twitter. And um, as I like to mention, when we do a Scarlet Witch episode on here, I do a tweet blog of the Scarlet Witch stories that I'm reading over at It's Wanda Time on the Twitters. So uh, I go a little bit more in depth with my thoughts on her role in these stories on Twitter with pictures and everything else. So, you know, in this issue, Namor didn't really join the Brotherhood like it said on the tin. So until Namor joins the X-Men, Make ours marvel.